If you have a Bible today or you want to look on the screen to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, I'm, I'm going to take this series in a little different direction than I normally do other series. And um, just follow with me and flow with me and you'll understand what I'm doing. The first thing I want to talk about is the transition that Jesus was dealing with when he uh, was, after he was resurrected here in John chapter 20, he was dealing with the disciples and one of the main problems that he had, unfortunately, was their believing. And it says here in John chapter 20, look at it in verse number 24, it says that Thomas called the twin was one of the 12 was was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And this is what Thomas said. Notice this. <laughs> this is funny. He said, unless I see his hands or the print of the nails, or put my finger in the print of his nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Notice that phrase there. And after eight days, his disciples again were with Thomas, was, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came through the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them, and said, peace be still. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, Jesus just walks through the walls. Anyway, uh, uh-oh, something's on my computer here. <laughs> so... It's talking to me, and it shouldn't be. Um, notice what it says here, and, and, and then verse 27, and, and he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Watch this. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Everybody say that phrase with me. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So what's the main basic thing that we're seeing here is what Jesus is dealing with, is, and that is the word believe. And notice what it says here in verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, and watch this now, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But watch this, he's referring to you and I. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and I. Notice what Jesus said there at the end again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So you're blessed by what? Believing before seeing. And it says here in verse 30, even though I didn't ask them to put this on the screen, we just read verses 30 and 31 to you. And it says, and truly, and, Jesus, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe in that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So what's Jesus dealing with at the base? right after his resurrection. He is, believe, he is having to deal with their believing. I mean, you know, you'd think, well, they would truly believe knowing that he's been resurrected. They're still in a denial of the fact that he is who he is. And it amazes me that these people, in fear of what was going on, yet, I mean, if Jesus had promised that he would be resurrected and he's resurrected, and I'm seeing him resurrected or hearing that he's resurrected and I'm going to find him, I mean, don't you think that that would do something to your faith at a whole new level? I mean, here's Jesus on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's having to go back to the very basic of basics, which is, first of all, for them to believe that he who, what he promised, he said he would do. In Mark chapter 16, now here's the commission. Mark chapter 16, this was the challenge that they, Jesus was dealing with, and notice over here in Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Mark 16, 15. Let me get to that to you. I want to read that to you. Uh, and, and again, right prior to this commission, it says here in verse 14, I'm sorry, I didn't put this verse in there, but at verse 14 of Mark 16, it says later, this is talking about the 11 disciples, as, as they said at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. This is verse 14, because they did not believe those who had seen him after his resurrection. So Jesus is having to come to his disciples and challenge them. It says right here that he was rebuking them 
them for what their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe. So the whole basics of Christianity in one word right now is the word believe. So Jesus is not just saying, hey, I'm resurrected now. I'm going to go appear to thousands and thousands of people. He is trying to formulate this foundation. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate leader, ladies and gentlemen. He knows what he's having to do strategically. And so he's setting in motion this foundation to build this the new age of the church age. It's no longer these last three and a half years where he was the Messiah doing what what he was doing and setting in motion the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's no longer the tabernacle of the Old Covenant. It's now not only God just among us, but it's now going to be God with, within us. And so he's having to set this foundation. And notice what he says here again in verse 14. He, he rebukes them because they did not believe after, after seeing him after he'd risen in verse number 15. And then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Watch this, verse 16. He who believes, everybody say believe. He who believes is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So what's Jesus doing here? He's laying the foundation for Christianity. The foundation for Christianity is not just seeing the resurrected Savior. The foundation for Christianity is not just, you know, saying, hey, Jesus is Lord because of the resurrection. It's about you carrying on because I'm about to descend here in a matter of days here, and I need for you to do one thing. That is to believe what I promised and believe what I need for you to do and take it to its fullest extent. The next verse, verse number 17. It says, and these signs will follow those who what? Believe. Believe. There's that word again. In my name or in my authority, they'll what? Have authority over the devil. They will speak with new tongues or they'll have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Verse number 18. Watch what it says. They will take up serpents. Or what does that mean? And it says if they will not drink any deadly thing. It means divine protection. That doesn't mean going around looking for snakes necessarily, but it means that you're divinely protected from the snake, which is Satan himself or the symbol. And watch this. And at the end of the verse 18, it says they will lay hands on the sick. They will minister to people and they will recover in whose name? In his name. And how do you do all these things outlined in this verse of scriptures here? These, these, this outline is I call the great commission, which has usually been the great omission. What do you do here? You've got to believe. You've got to truly lay your faith in the fact that Jesus is the one who's the head of this, not you, not this church, not the identity of other leaders or the identity of people. It's all about him. And when you have that core believing basic foundation, you can do anything and the Bible opens itself up to you and it becomes everything you need for it to be and it comes everything that God wants it to be. Acts chapter one, notice what it says here. Acts chapter 1. I'm building something here, so y'all just follow with me as I get this foundation. Acts chapter 1, talking about the church. This is the establishment of the church age. Everybody say the church age. That's where we are today. There's not just, you know, one church. There's multiple churches. When I founded Metroplex Family Church 18 years ago, I named it basically in the pattern that I saw here in the New Testament, which is to name it after an area. And there's nothing wrong with naming it a specific name. But you notice that the churches in the Bible were the church at Philadelphia, the church at Ephesus. And I named it the church at Metroplex or Metroplex Family Church. I added the word family in there for a specific reason. And of course, I used the last word church. But again, Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? 
It says, the former account I made of Theopolis of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So watch this now, verse number two. It said, until the day which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he chosen. Verse number three, he presented himself alive after his suffering or after the cross by many infallible proofs being seen by them 40 days and and basically 40 nights and speaking to them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus was laying during this 40 days the basic foundation of the way Christianity was operate. He was setting in motion the way he wanted to see this church age envelop and how things were to take place over this period of time coming up. He was such a strategic leader. In verse number four, notice what he did here. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he's starting everything in Jerusalem, but watch what he's doing here. He's shifting things from a focus on himself to a focus on the God within. And look what it says here. But he says in verse number four, he says, but wait to the promise of the Father, for you have heard, verse number five, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's introducing the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the greatest thing. The Old Testament is about God among his people. The New, the new, gospel, I mean, the new Testament, which is the, the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is about Jesus walking with us. And now there's this new paradigm and this new shift that's coming in where it's no longer going to be just God among us, God walking with us. It's going to be God within And don't you know that hell itself had to wake up and say, you know what, we have been defeated again. We thought we could destroy this Messiah. We thought we could destroy the church, or not the church, the, the, the believers of God in the Old Testament before the Messiah came. We thought we could really, you know, rattle this thing apart because they had religious people working for them, all the demons of hell, if you allow me to say that, because they were so intertwined in the fact that, you know, it's not about a relationship with God. It's about rules and regulations and political power within the church, I mean, within the the religious frame of that time. And all of a sudden, Jesus is introducing that the spirit of the living God is going to be on the inside of believers. And then what's what verse 6 says, they, and again, his disciples didn't quite understand it, and they said, therefore, when they came together, they were asking and saying, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, they're still not understanding this. Why? Because they're not believing. I mean, the main thing that Jesus had a problem with was the word believe getting these men and these women to truly believe. And I think the women were probably a little bit easier than the men. All the ladies said, amen. (laughs) Verse number seven. And he said to them, he answers their question and says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put his own authority. But verse number eight, watch verse number eight. Look what it says. But you shall receive what? power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when you what? When you believe and receive this gift from me, and you will be a witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, it's time to go beyond Jerusalem. It's time to expand this thing. I see Burleson, Texas in this verse of scripture. You say, I don't, Pastor Brian. Well, I do. And uh, I see the fact that he had his eyes set on you and I. He had his eyes set on this time. He had his eyes set on America. He had his eyes set on the gospel being preached throughout all the world as a witness. He wasn't intimidated by the Roman army. He could care less. He was building the greatest army, the most powerful entity in the earth. And he was going to do it his way. And he was determined to see this thing established. And he appears to this man called Paul, who was 
one of the very people that's trying to destroy what he was trying to do, appears to him and outlines this church age that we're into right now. As a matter of fact, I've got here, um, if they'll put this up, the book of Acts simply outlined here. It's, uh, I've got it. Watch this. Now, this is, this is just, again, my interpretation. And it's a simple interpretation, so I don't want you to... I mean, there's so much within the framework of this, but it's real simple when you look at the book of Acts. First, uh, chapters 1 through 4, simply the first church being established in Jerusalem. Number 2, chapters 5 through 8, is simply witnessing for Jesus. As you read through these chapters, you'll see the, how they are empowered to be his representatives. Number 3, of course, they're now expanding beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. They're witnessing there. And then number 4, Paul is establishing... Now, by the way, yeah, yeah I'm sorry, Paul's establishing in his first missionary journey. This is chapters 13 through 15. And then again, where it goes on there, it says Paul revisits the churches in his second missionary journey. Uh, there's supposed to be a J there. And, and so not Ernie. And uh, verse number six, Paul encourages the churches to the third missionary journey. And then finally, he goes from Jerusalem and Paul ends up to end the book and Paul being in Rome. And again, Jesus is strategically maneuvering Paul throughout this establishment, all these churches. And I, I want to share with you the next, what I think is the four themes of the book of Acts. Again, this is my personal interpretation. Uh, I wrote a book with Jonathan Schultz called Acts 29, and we could look at that later. But this is what I'm seeing as far as the four major themes, and we'll get to the basics here in just a minute. Number one is to receive the love of God through Jesus Christ. And this is what we're going to talk about in just a second. To, to know that we are Jesus' representatives. We're no longer just representing ourselves or representing God. We're representing the King of Kings. There's a shift going on here. And then number three, that every person has a specific purpose. I think this is so important because in the Old Testament, the religious sect at that time, they were in complete control and they were basing everything about what you, you, know, what you were supposed to do for them as far as the temple. But now in this new genre of the church age, God is saying that every person, every believer, has a responsibility, and you'll be accountable for that responsibility, and that responsibility has been given by God for your own specific life. And then number four, that we are the family of God, that we're no longer an identity of a religious group, that we are the family of God. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to break this down here at Metroplex Family Church. Again, we have these four words called extend, equip, empower, and experience. And we talk about a lot, and we'll continue to talk about a lot, the love of God. But I think it's important that you understand that Jesus came into this situation shifting the thinking of people. And notice what he did for three and a half years. He was teaching, preaching, and healing and showing people that God wants a relationship with them. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's about the fact that God wants to have a personal, knowing, growing relationship with you. And that just absolutely infuriated the religious people. They hated him for that. They were so mad at him that they literally wanted to kill him because they wanted to be in control. They wanted people to submit to them, not to God necessarily, and they would submit to God in behalf of the people. It was a complete religiosity of that time. I mean, you think religion can be bad when Jesus was on the earth and the very people that crucified him probably was the peak of religion at its fullest as far as deceptiveness and stupidity and foolishness at that time. But Jesus was saying, hey, there's just one thing you need to do. There's just one thing in life. There's one basic foundation, and that is simply this, for you to have a knowing, growing relationship with God that comes through me. 
And then I'm not only going to give it through me, but I'm going to give the spirit of the living God to drop himself on the inside of you and live with you. Isn't that awesome? That was messing everybody's minds up, especially the religious people. They were so mad at him because of this idea of God, you know, not being distant, but now God's going to be within people. Who in the world does he think that he is? Oh, I'm telling you what, Jesus was totally the most opposite from religion of anybody that's ever walked the earth. He was all about relationship. And that relationship is what you and I, have, and I have today. And I think so many times people sort of set that aside and think, well, that's not important. It is the, what the Christianity is all about. Either you're believing or you're not believing. Either you're ignoring or you're paying attention to him. But listen, let's turn to John 17, 3. I want to take you on a quick journey, at least for this section that I'm covering today. John 17, 3. Notice what it says here. These are not my words. These are Jesus John 17, 3, look what it says here. Pay attention to this. This is, again, Jesus' words. In verse number 3, and Jesus said, This is eternal life that you may know, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God. Wow. This is eternal life that they, talking about you and I and anybody else, that they may know you, not know about you, but know you, that you're the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Isn't that fascinating? That God says right here through Jesus that you can be known, of, he can, you can know him and he can know you. You said, Pastor Brian, I just don't feel like I had that type of relationship. Well, number two, I just want you to know, and I've got good news for you. God is not mad at you today. He's never mad at you and never be mad at you. He's blamed for a lot of things that he does not do in your life. You probably blame him for a lot of things that he does, that you say that he does, but he does not do. Let me just say it like this. Let me just really put it down to where we live. How many of us all have a refrigerator? Every single one of us have a refrigerator. Some of us have more than one. Do you know if God had a refrigerator, he'd have your picture on it? <laughs> Think about that. He'd have your picture on his refrigerator because he loves you that much. He really loves you. Now, you can disappoint him and you can grieve him and you can actually upset him because of what word? What's that basic word I was talking about earlier? What's that word? It starts with a B, not Brian. It's what? Believe. When you put the word or the syllabus unbelief before that, that really grieves him because he's done a lot to bring you to a place where you can believe. Do you know the great price that he paid to bring his only son here? Do you know the great price that he paid to put this book in your lap? Do you know the great price that he paid to give us this beautiful technology that we have that we can instantly go to the Bible, that we can instantly see things and watch things as far as messages and other things, that we can instantly message one another, that we could do FaceTiming and video timing and this, that, and other? Was that technology so that you and I could feel good and be entertained? Not really. It was for us to have an equipping relationship to walk with God as Father and for you to have a full life. Not a life of secondary, not a life of insignificance, but to know that God loves you and he has an absolute priority of your life. And when you take your, your own self and say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do the way I want to do it, and as long as I'm going to heaven, that's fine. That's great. You know what, you can go to heaven. There's a lot of people that are going to go to heaven. There are going to be a lot of people that go to heaven, but when you get to heaven, there's going to be a hierarchy and that hierarchy is going to be based on obedience. God rewards obedience, whether it's in, the, in this earth, in this life, or the next. He's going to reward it. 
And you say, well, I'm going to have a mansion as big as yours. I don't think so if you don't obey him. We're all equal. No, we're not. There's 12 disciples. There's 12 thrones of 12 men. You study the Bible. There's hierarchy going on. You say, well, Pastor Brian, we're all equal. We're all loved. We're, just, we're all the same. No, we're not. God loves us equally. Well, let me tell you something. When you dedicate yourself to him, I'm not talking about being in the ministry. When you dedicate yourself to him, there's rewards in this life and the next. I guarantee you, I promise you. That's why it's worthy to live your life the very best. Because if you live 100 years in this earth, that's awesome. But let me tell you something. That is nothing in the light of eternity. Millions and billions of years. People ask me all the time, you know, how much property you have? I got property here, I got property here, but I got property that I'm working on that's on the other side that I'll live longer in, much more than the property here on this earth. I don't do things in private because I'm trying to sneak or get away with them. I do things in private because I know God's with me and watching me, and I love Him. I don't do things because I'm in the ministry just to please Him. I do things because I love Him. I could work another job and call myself a pastor. I did that for years. I thought when I went to work for the state of Alabama in the governor's office, I could be in the ministry and work for the governor at the same time and still fulfill God's calling and purpose for my life and work for the state of Alabama. But he had another plan for me in 1986. He said, I need you full time. And so that's what I did and been doing that ever since. My point with that all is it's because I have a relationship with the Lord. And when you look at Philippians 3, look what it says in Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified Bible. This is the Apostle Paul. Watch this. This is in the Amplified Bible. So it says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Look at that. And it says that I and the same may come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts itself over believers. And go back to verse 10. I mean, the first part of that verse, please. Thank you. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, not just know about him, but I know him. And I would progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person. That's my whole mission. That's the whole mission of this church. That's my mission for your life. I don't want you just to have a great job and a great career and to be you know, healthy and, and have financial stability and peace in mind. I do want that for you personally. I want your children to grow up, your grandchildren to grow up peacefully. But I'll tell you, my desire, my passion, my whole purpose in life is this, that you would know him, you would progressively, everybody say progressively, please, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person. And if you're not there, hey, I want to help you get there. I think that every single day you should practice his presence. Every single day you should want to walk with him. Let's look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. A man that I am fascinated. I can't wait to meet this man. And of course, uh, 100 years from now, I'll meet him. But right now, I've got a mission on earth. But the this man is Enoch, and he lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. I think it's interesting what happened here. And notice what it says in the next verse, in verse number 22. It says, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He walked with God, not 30 days, not 30 years, 300. That's a long time. 
That is a long, by the way, I love in the Old Testament, you talk about taking the most out of your social security. These people walked a long time <laughs> taking all the benefits of life. And by the way, I, the reason why I want to live long and live strong is because the older I get, the better I get. I don't want to be 20 again. I don't want to be 30 again. I like getting older because I have more stability. I've learned. I've grown. I, I've learned what to do. I've learned what not to do. I don't want to have children again, necessarily. I like my children where they are. Loved them when they were young. It was awesome. But I love where they are now. I love the fact that they're making money instead of taking money. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I love the other things in life. I love stability. When people ask me what I do for a living, I've been pastoring Metroplex Family Church for almost 20 years. I found stability in what I'm doing. I have other things that are going on in my life. I'm walking that walk. And then Enoch had a beautiful thing here. He walked with God. And notice it says he had sons and daughters. Now, Sheila, I don't think I can talk her into having more children later. But my point with that is simply this. This man's walking with God. And then all of a sudden, look at the next verse. Verse number 23, it said, And all the days of Enoch were 365 days. Watch verse 24. And notice this. It said, Enoch walked with God, and he wasn't because God took him. What a close relationship. I believe they were walking along one day, and they were just talking and fellowshipping and um, just talking about everything that life has to talk about. And God just said to Enoch, and said, Listen, you've been on that earth 365 years. Just, just come on. Just take one more step and just come on up here and be with me. I don't want to come down there. You come up here because up here is a lot better. Up here is much better. Up here is awesome. And by the way, as a believer, for a person just to make it into heaven, even though they didn't live their life for the Lord, I did a funeral the other day. This person had not served the Lord in any capacity, never went to church. They made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. That was it. They never gave anything to the church and never supported the church. I mean, totally just ignored it. But at the same time, I knew that I knew that I knew that they were born again and they made it into heaven. Thank God for that, just like the thief on the cross. Heaven's awesome. And heaven's a lot better than hell. But let me tell you something. When you get to a place when you're knowing God and walking with him like Enoch did and like the apostle Paul did, there's power in that relationship. There's power in any relationship. And when you walk with God into the place where God wants you so much that he would take you, that's sort of where I am. I didn't, by the way, I don't want to leave, okay? And I want to stay here, and I want to fulfill my calling, and I want to help millions of people have a knowing, growing relationship with the Lord. That's Brian Jacobs' mission. But I want the place where God wants me there just as much as I want to be there, but he needs me here. That's the way I look at it, because people need to be empowered. People need to be having a place of relationship with God that's not just religious, but it's not under obligation, but they're hearing his voice and knowing what to do and how to respond and react to life, not in their own power, but in his power. I think there's some things you need to do daily. First of all, I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, let's get one. MetroplexFamilyChurch.com, we've got one. If you've never read through the New Testament, let's start there. You could read the Old Testament first. First, include you. I encourage you to do that. But listen, you need a daily. Notice what it says: daily Bible reading plan. Let's say that together: daily Bible reading plan. Number two, you need a place where you're quoting God's word over your life. One of the most powerful things that has ever been a revelation to me was the spoken word of God coming out of your mouth. If you want a good marriage, yes, you need to communicate and connect with your spouse. But if you really want a great marriage, you need to speak God's word over your spouse. Hello? If you want your children to serve the Lord, you need to what? Speak God's word over your children. 
Seriously, there's power in calling them blessed, calling them what they should be, calling them not by what you're seeing, but what you believe God. Especially if, a child, if you're pregnant, one of the first things that Sheila and I did with all three of our children, we prayed over them in the, in the belly. I spoke over them before they were born. And, you know, again, I wasn't moved when Allison was born and she came out all screaming. I'm like, what in the world is that child? I'll never forget, my God, who that cannot be my baby. First of all, the hair is black as tar, and she screamed for two days. I'm thinking, that's not my child. I mean, she screamed, and she screamed, and she screamed, and she screamed. Now, Benjamin and Samuel came out. They're all like, peace, man. What's up? What's up, Dad? What's up? Everything's going to be all right. Allison screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed. Anyway, now she's completely opposite today. But notice, but you know what? I was, I was calling my children a certain things. I was calling them peaceful and happy and blessed and empowered to do God's will. You said, Pastor Ryan, my child's been diagnosed with this or died. Listen, you've got to come back to the Word of God. Either you're going to stand on your covenant and God's going to be God in your family, or are you going to let it all fall apart? And that's where number three, your prayer outline comes in. A prayer outline is not just you, you know, praying a list of God, give me this, God, give me that. Prayer is a time of communion and conversation. Many of my prayers is uh, scriptural prayers and the fact that I'm praying over you, God's word. The greatest thing I can do for healing is not say, God bless you, but pray. Galatians 3, 13, 1 Peter 2, 24, Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 over your life. Quote the word of God over your life especially the scriptures of peace. Every single day, there are three pages of scriptural outlines of peace that I pray over us as a church family because that's important to me. That's my prayer outline to pray the peace of God because I believe if you have the peace of God and the peace of God operating in you and you're beginning your relationship to try to walk with him and hear his voice, I believe that peace of God is the best place for you to operate in this world of confusion, this world of all these voices out there and and nagging and coming and attacking you. I mean, the world's full of the demons and stupidity of the world. Why do you want to be a part of that? Why do you want to listen to that voice? I was meeting with a friend of mine, Adrian Banker. She's a, she was on Good Morning America. Now she's a WGN out of Chicago. And I met her yesterday downtown for just a time at a coffee shop just to talk to her. And she was talking about, and again, I was, I was saying, Adrian, I said, you know, the grace of God is upon you, you know, every day to deal with all the demons you deal with. I mean, she deals with a lot in the world system. But we were talking about it, and she was reiterating. She said, Brian, I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have these three things. The Word of God, first place and final authority in my life. Praying God's Word over my life daily. She said the pressure of getting up every morning, Monday through Friday at 2 a.m., and being down at the set by 4 for makeup, and being live on the air by 6 o'clock in the morning to millions of people, and dealing with the world and its cycle and all the evil and the politics and about this and that and the other. She said, you know, if you didn't have God, you'd just conform to that thing and collapse. But she said, I've got the Lord. You talk about pressure. I mean, you know, she was telling me about her contract, and no, she's not making, you know, $60,000 a year, ladies and gentlemen. Let's add a lot more zeros to that, okay? A lot of zeros. But let me say this, with responsibility, with this time in her life, at this strategic place, the first person in her life is the most important person in her life is the Lord. And without the Lord, she says she couldn't do it. 
And let me tell you something. You, when you put God first place like that, you can handle the pressure of this world and you can dominate the pressure of this world. When you choose your relationship with God, to walk with Him, to have conversations with Him. The other day, she was in an argument with a figure on the broadcast about... Uh, our former president, you know, just the, being in the news business, and she was duking it out with this guy, as they say in the South. And I said, well, I saw the clip of that. I said, that's pretty intimidating fight you had there. She said, I know. But she said, it was the peace of God that rose up in me. I stood firm in answering the questions. I'm an in, I was doing an interview, and when he would try to go off facts, I kept to the facts. And she said, in my, and she says, it seems like the older I get in the Lord, the, more bo- the bolder I get. And she said, because I am not going to be ashamed of who I am in Jesus Christ. There's just certain things that I believe, even though I'm in this position speaking to millions of people and the responsibility I have, I am still going to stand firm in my faith. And I walked away from that. And I sent her a note later, later on that yesterday afternoon. I appreciate someone in the midst of pressure that doesn't back down and cowered away and says, you know what? If God be God, he can handle this where I am. He called me to be in this place and where he guides, he provides. And where he is going to lead me, he's going to take care of me. And I'm telling you what, if God can do that in a position like that, I know that he can help you in your life. It's just up to you to make that decision, the fact that he loves you. And the basics of what we're going to talk about is simply this over the next couple of weeks, that that relationship you have with the Lord is the most important thing in your life. Don't let anything or anyone take that away from you.